Welcome to the Bayou Business Download, a podcast from the Greater Houston Partnership, where we dive into the data and analytics influencing the region's economy and the core business sectors that drive Houston's growth. I'm your host, AJ Mistretta. On today's episode, we're chatting with Partnership Senior Vice President of Research, Patrick Jankowski, about a number of recent global events and their potential impact on the Houston economy. We'll touch on everything from the recently signed USMCA agreement to a new Chinese trade deal. Patrick, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, AJ. Patrick, you've analyzed a number of recent events. Most of these events are global in nature, with one being national. Let's start off with what's on everyone's mind right now, and that's the coronavirus. Uh, can you tell me what the latest figures show? Okay, well, we're recording this podcast on Wednesday, February 12th. So when you hear the podcast, the numbers would obviously be updated. But right now, we are at globally... 45,171 cases. What's important to know about that is that 98% of those cases are in China. If you look at where it's globally, there are only 24 countries that have been affected. That hasn't changed in the last 10 days. And although there's talk about the number of deaths associated with the coronavirus, 1,100 as of this recording, uh, there's only been one death outside of China. So as we're looking at the coronavirus as an event, It's primarily focused in China, and hopefully as Chinese officials get a handle on things, it'll stay that way. The reality is the China of today is very different than the China we saw during the SARS outbreak in 2003. Talk, if you can, about how much the world's largest country has changed in the last 17 years. Okay, it's it's interesting interesting that you bring up the SARS virus, sudden acute respiratory syndrome. Uh, Early on, economists and epidemiologists were looking at SARS as someone to try to model what the potential impact of the coronavirus would be. I do want to add this, that the SARS, there are a lot fewer people who are infected with with SARS. Uh, Only about 8,100 people were infected with SARS. But SARS was actually more deadly, if you think about it. It's not in the total number of deaths, but the likelihood to die from it. If you look at the mortality rate, right now the mortality rate for the coronavirus, as best we can calculate, It's about 2.4, meaning for every 100 people who come down with the coronavirus, 2.4 will will pass away from it. With the SARS outbreak, the mortality rate was actually 9.6, meaning for every 100 people who came down with the SARS, 9.6 would die. And if you want to put that in another way, you were four times as more likely to die from the SARS if you came down with it than you are from the coronavirus. If you look at the data still uh, of all the cases out there for the coronavirus, only about 18% of them are considered to actually be severe that might require hospitalization. Let, let me back up, because you'd asked me how is China different than now than mm. it was then, because that's the big concern. Uh, China is much more important to the global economy than it was 17 years ago when the SARS outbreak hit the world. Back then, China was only 4.3% of total global economic activity. Today, it's like 15.3%. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely much bigger part of the global economy. Back then, we did not have the integrated global supply chains that we do now. We weren't sourcing as much from China as we are now, whether we were sourcing components which go into a manufactured product or whether we were sourcing the final end good itself. So China is more integrated with the global economy, which is where a lot of the concerns come from. Also, back then, China did not have a large middle class. Uh, Prosperity was just starting to come to the nation. China put more severe travel restrictions on its citizens. They weren't able to travel abroad. 
now as you if you read Bloomberg or you read the Wall Street Journal or you go to the Financial Times, you're hearing stories about how the beaches in Thailand are, are, are empty or, or yeah. you go to some of these other places where they visit and the restaurants are empty, the beaches are empty, the retail shops are empty. Uh, there's talk of how a lot of the luxury brands, some of them depend upon Chinese purchases for thir- a third as much of their revenue, and those are down. So, yes, China is much more important to the global economy today than it was when we had the SARS outbreak. And that's one of the reasons why there's so much concern about it right now. Which makes a lot of sense. Now, bringing this back down to Houston, what are the potential impacts for Houston, if any? Well, you can look at it in different ways. There's the impact on trade. There's the impact on tourism. There's the impact on the oil and gas industry. There's the impact, just the psychological impact. If you want to look at what was going on with China, we had already saw trade drop off for China as related. And I'll talk a little bit more about that early yeah. on. Uh, we hoped trade would start picking up as a result of the, the U.S.-China trade agreement. But that's probably going to be a little bit of a delay in that because there are not as many ships coming out of China. There's a delay in the factory orders and so forth. Uh, so that will impact Houston, but not severely. China is less than 10% of all the trade that we do globally. So And, and so it's not going to have that big an impact. If you look at tourism, uh, Houston First had used a number. They said that Chinese tourists spent, uh, that they spent $158 million in Houston in 2018. Right now, there are no Chinese tourists coming to Houston because of the flight ban. Right. So you're worried about losing that $158 million in Chinese tourist purchases? Well, that same year, uh, total purchases by visitors was $18.4 billion. Right. So the lack of Chinese tourists will affect businesses which cater specifically to the Chinese tourists, but it's not going to affect the overall economy that much. Probably the real concern is the, the impact on the demand for crude. Uh, the Chinese, w- without the flights going in, without people traveling, with the factory shut down, there's not as much demand for energy. And there are all sorts of estimates out there about how much the demand for crude has dropped for China. I've seen estimates as low as uh, only a million barrels a day. I've seen estimates as high as three million barrels a day. Mm. But what that means is that has put some pressure on the global price of crude, uh, mainly on the price of Brexit, which is what's traded overseas more than West Texas Intermediate, which is what we have here. But we've seen the price drop by uh, uh, anywhere from 18 to 23 percent of those two crudes over the last week or two as a result of this drop-off. To try to bring all that back home, what it means is with the lower oil prices, it's going to mean less revenues for the companies in Houston. It's going to be less cash flow. Uh, the oil and gas industry was already struggling. Uh, the capital markets were close to it. They weren't able to do a whole lot of drilling because they couldn't borrow the money. They couldn't either borrow it through through either from the banks or they couldn't borrow it by issuing debt. And what it means is there are going to be fewer wells drilled, and that's going to come back and affect the oil and gas firms in Houston. But also means some firms, their cash flow is going to be pinched. Mm. And with them having less cash flow, not only is it going to be fewer wells drilled, but they may have a problem servicing their debts. And we may see some additional bankruptcies this year as a result of the slowdown in China, which is as a result of the coronavirus. Right, right. Staying on the topic of China, a little less than a month ago, President Trump's administration and the Chinese reached a new trade deal. So let's talk a little bit about what does this mean for Houston itself? Well, it, it's it's a good thing that we have a trade deal, uh, whether you agree with the terms of it or not. Because if you, if you look at it in just the, the big picture, the whole thing, it pretty much put calls a truce to the trade war that's been going on. I mean, things won't get any worse. We're not going to see an yeah. escalation of tensions. Uh, and so it becomes a starting point. Uh, there were a lot of hiring decisions which weren't made. There were a lot of investment decisions which weren't made. There were contracts which weren't signed because of all this great uncertainty we've had over trade with China. So that's one benefit from it. 
But the other benefit from it is it does start to remove some tariffs. We have seen the Chinese remove some tariff on some U.S. goods. We've seen the U.S. remove some tariffs on Chinese goods. And so you expect to see a little bit of a greater flow of, of trade between the two countries. Uh, if you want to look at it, what we got out of the Chinese agreed to open up their automobile markets yeah. more. They agreed to buy more agricultural products. They agreed to buy more industrial products. They actually agreed to buy more, more energy products. Uh, it's interesting. It's very specific in the agreement. The Chinese have agreed to buy another $200 billion in goods and commodities from the U.S. over the next two years. And if you look at it, they agreed to buy over $52 billion worth of, of energy in the broadest sense. That would be refined products. That would be crude. That would be LNG, even a little bit of coal thrown in there. So that's one way it'll benefit Houston is that uh, we are going to see them purchasing more energy products. Products. Uh, what's good is because of the trade tensions that we had over the last two years. Think about this. This trade war has been going on for two years. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of firms in Houston that want to build liquid natural gas plants or have been building li liquid natural gas plants, expecting to sell that LNG to the Chinese. A lot of those talks were put on hold or they were at least slowed down significantly until these trade tensions eased. So that, that's one thing which is going to benefit a lot. And I, I know this is a, a business podcast, but I'm going to get just a little bit political. Yeah. I know that during the presidential election that President Trump is going to tout this as a great win that he had. So you'll be hearing a lot about the deal with China over the next nine months leading up to the election. There were also additional protections for U.S. intellectual property, right? So that, that's really important. Yes. One of the things that uh, if you want to look at it, and this is something that can't be measured in data, but it's kind of yeah. the sense I get as I talk to people, as I, as I read academic journals, as I go through and, and read the media, is that I think Americans have become aware that the Chinese were had some pretty uh, unfair practices, uh, especially in the sense that if a U.S. firm wanted to form a, a joint venture with a Chinese firm, they had to turn over their technology. Mm. And I think the U.S. population has come to kind of a consensus that that's not a nice thing to do. We right. should not allow them to do that. Yeah. And so there, it is actually addressed. There are some provisions in there about how to deal with uh, this protection of, of intellectual property. Uh, some of the critics say the provisions aren't strong enough, but it's a start. Now, we hear about this. This is a phase one deal. Yeah. Uh, President Trump said that we're going to negotiate a phase two deal. And then at phase two deal, hopefully we'll have some more restrictions taken off trading. Hopefully some of these protections for intellectual property will be strengthened. Uh, but I do need to warn you, once again, this is an election year. I don't expect much progress on a phase two trade deal this year, not until after the election. And then after the election, I think maybe you'll start to see some progress again. Another trade deal, of course, closer to home is the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, or USMCA, which essentially replaced NAFTA. The president signed that measure late last month. It's been a priority of his going back to the 2016 campaign. Talk, if you can, about what changes under this deal. AJ, our relationship with Mexico is very important. If you look at our top 10 trading partners, Mexico is number one. China actually, which we talked about just a moment ago, was number two. It slipped to number three under the trade tensions, but it'll probably rise back up to number two. Uh, we saw exports to Mexico fell about 9.3% last year. Part of that was because of the trade tension. Part of that was because of just some of the slowdown that's going on in Mexico. Uh, when President Trump, or then I should say then-candidate Trump, was campaigning uh, for, the, for the Oval Office, he referred to the, the NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Deal, as actually being one of the worst trade deals in history. 
So we knew he was going to try to renegotiate it. And at one time, he even said that if he could not get a, a good deal to replace NAFTA, he was going to walk away from it mm-hmm. altogether. He's just going to just wash his hands of it. That created a lot of uncertainty. If you were trying to sell goods down there, if you were trying to invest there, if you were trying to set up some sort of contract down there. And so if you look once again at the probably the biggest impact of the USMCA, the United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement. Kind of sounds like that old village people song. <laughs> the USMCA. Okay. The, 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 probably the biggest impact of it is it has reduced the amount of tension between the Oval Office and, and Mexico. It's reduced the amount of tension between the U.S. and Mexico and Canada. Mm-hmm. It's brought about some more certainty in uh, the trade relationship. Right. And that's going to be something which facilitates trade. What are some of the things that we got out of out of this agreement? One of them was uh, we know that now all automobiles made in North America have to have a higher component of North American-made parts. Probably greater for Wisconsin than it is for Texas. We know that Canada has opened up its dairy markets. Mm. We know that Mexico is going to allow there to be secret ballots on trade unions that didn't used to be and allowed for manipulation. That Mexico has agreed to uh, certain protections for e-commerce and, and for, for, for digital products, which wasn't very common or wasn't in place in 1994 when we passed NAFTA. So we definitely see some benefits there. We'll probably see some growth in trade with Mexico. But Mexico's economy right now is struggling just a little bit. Part of it is President Obrador had canceled a $13 billion airport project, which was a big infrastructure hit. Didn't fully spend the budget. Uh, also uh, laid off some some workers. So Mexico's economy is it's kind of flat right now. So as and, and part of that flatness may have been because of these tensions. But as Mexico's economy starts to pick up and as we start to see some more of these benefits of the USMCA, we are going to see uh, increased trade with Mexico, and that'll be a benefit for Houston. You're jumping across the pond, if you will, Brexit has been a contentious issue in Great Britain for years now. It's proven to be the downfall of two prime ministers who weren't able to successfully negotiate the nation's exit from the European Union. Now the deal is done. What stands to change here in Houston, if anything? Okay, well, let me back up and give a little bit of a background with Brexit. When the U.K. joined the EU in 1973, it wasn't the European Union. It was the European Economic Community. They joined it because they wanted the benefits of this huge trading block. They wanted to not have any trade barriers. And frankly, at that time, growth on the continent was doing very well while it was somewhat struggling in in the U.K. And so they saw the benefits of that. Uh, The Brits became disenchanted with the EU when it evolved from being a trading union to being a political union. They felt they'd given up some of their sovereignty. They lost control of their borders. They lost control of their immigration policy. And so the referendum, which was held two years ago, was was probably more an issue on sovereignty than trade. So what happens is now what happened on January 31st is the U.K. actually left the political part of the EU and they have until the end of this year, till December 31st, to negotiate what the exit of the trade union part will be, Got what it. sort of trade agreements they can have. And so until that is completed, uh, the U.K. cannot sign independent trade agreements with other countries. But I'll let you know we're already starting to see visits from people from the U.K. wanting to have closer ties with Houston. Mm-hmm. They say Houston and Texas is very important to their future growth. So what we'll definitely see, we're going to see an increased amount of, of trade, physical trade, of, of goods and commodities back and forth between the countries. But I also expect we'll probably see an increase in investment from, from firms in Houston into the U.K. and vice versa, because whatever agreement we have is going to be not have the same sort of restrictions that we would have when trying to do business under the old EU. 
because Britain will be able to negotiate its own agreements. We've talked before, Patrick, about the three engines, if you will, of Houston's economic growth, those being energy, the global economy, and U.S. growth. We've discussed a number of global events today and touched on energy, but on the national front, the Fed chose at its January meeting to keep interest rates where they are. What does that tell us about the health of the national economy? If you took nothing else away from the Fed and you simply looked at what they said, they said they do not think the U.S. is in danger of a recession. If they thought the U.S. was in danger of going in recession, they would have lowered interest rates. And actually what they said was we lowered them three times in 2019. It's too soon to see what effect that might have. We're going to wait and see. So if nothing else, there's no panic at the Fed. There's no great concern. When you talk to Jerome Powell, when he uh, made his press conference after the event, when he's been talking to Congress, he said that the coronavirus is a concern, but we're going to wait and see. It's too soon to act. So if you want to – the big takeaway from that is that – the U.S. economy seems to be doing okay. We're not, we don't seem to be struggling the way we were several years ago. And that's so important because, as we said, there are three engines of Houston's growth. One is oil and gas. The other is the global economy, and the other is the U.S. economy. We're not getting any help from the oil and gas industry, and we won't for some time. So we really need to see strong U.S. growth. And we're seeing fairly decent growth. Last year, it averaged 2.1% GDP growth. That's actually the 20-year average GDP growth for the U.S. So if you look at it, we're pretty much growing at the long-term average. Right. And we, you know, what more can you ask for? The fact that we just continue to grow at a, a steady pace. All right. Thanks so much for joining me today, Patrick. AJ, thanks for having me on. I hope I provided some insights that our, our listeners can benefit from. Definitely. And that's it for this episode of the Bayou Business Download. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can do so by visiting the podcast page on Houston.org. You'll also find links to recent data and news updates. And check out our other podcast, Small Biz Insider, which highlights the innovative business owners, entrepreneurs, and leaders of the greater Houston area making a big impact in small business. Houston.org is where you can stay up to date with partnership events, networking opportunities, and more. Thanks again for listening to the Bayou Business Download. Until next time, I'm AJ Mistretta, encouraging you to engage with the partnership as we work to make Houston greater.